This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Um, we are still talking about money. And can I say something? It's, it's very important to me that we really get this. So today, um, what I'm talking about is God's will for money. I want us to really understand, I want to really explain from the Bible, from the scriptures, what God's will for money is. And... Um, it's going to get a bit deep at some points, but I want you to really pay attention. I want to disclose right off the bat that this money is going to get a bit deep. It's going to require you paying attention and you focusing on what I'm saying because it's very important that you get this. It's very important that you get this. There is no idol like mammon. There is no idol like mammon. You see, this money issue is is a very serious issue. It's a very terrible issue. Nothing leads people to heresy. Nothing leads people to apathy. Nothing leads people astray. Nothing leads people to backslide. Nothing leads people to lukewarm. All the undesirable states of mind that you can have in human beings vis-a-vis God's will for us is most created, is most caused is most exacerbated, is most increased by this issue. Money. 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 Look at First John chapter 2, verse 15. Apostle John says something. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So, this is just a reiteration of what Jesus taught. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, and whoever does the will of God lives forever. So, there is nothing that makes us, puts us at odds with God like the things of the world. The world is designed designed in such a way that it's supposed to put people, put you in a state of mind that you are at odds with God. You know, I explained what Paul was explaining in some time ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That the hearts of many people is actually turned away from God, and that's why there's a veil over their hearts. Money, the things of this world, actually turn people away from God. And the funny thing is that nothing undercuts all these three things in the world like money does when you talk about pride of life money is that one thing that can that helps people to get pride of life pride of life is ego power that need for power money is done is is is, is engineered in our society in such a way that when people begin to have money they begin to have power so a man who has fallen for pride of life will find that money is that one thing that can help him to get it. 
lust of the eyes that means the good things of this world fine dining and good cars good houses and good clothes and traveling abroad and having going for tourist sites and seeing the world and all those things lust of the eyes nothing gets you that like money and lust of the flesh we all know that once you have money sex becomes easier these three things put you at odds with god you cannot love them and love god and that's why jesus tells us that see when it comes to idolatry you can't serve god and serve mammon mammon is unique it's extremely powerful let me say something to you so i'm meditating on something of recent and it's very very striking right so i told you i promise you to get deep and i want you to really pay attention i promise i won't preach for too long so that all the things i'm saying will be able to you'll be able to follow all through Something that C.S. Lewis says, and it's very, very interesting, I'm meditating on. He said something. So this is what I got from it, right? One of the reasons why you cannot prove the existence of miracles to, you cannot really prove the existence of miracles to someone that does not believe is this simple. We perceive miracles with our senses. Whenever you say a miracle has been done, it's with your eyes or your ears that you used to hear it or used to see it, isn't it? So, we perceive miracles with our senses. But guess what? Everything that your senses, that you perceive with your senses, you judge it based on what you already believe. Isn't it? You judge your senses, what you receive with your senses, based on what, what, what you already believe. No matter what your senses tell you, is what you believe already, you used to judge it. Do you understand that? That is the reason why, because I know I have only one younger brother called Daniel. If another person, if I see if I look out the window and I see someone that passes that looks like Daniel and I know Daniel is inside the house, what will I say? I'll say, it just looks like him. It can't be him, isn't it? Because I already know something. So I judge what my eyes saw. I judge what my ears heard with based on what I already know. Church all together. Everything we do, everything our senses give us, we judge them based on what we already know. So that means... That you cannot prove miracles to someone because everybody will judge what their senses tell them based on what already believe. What that means, if someone believes that there are no miracles, if the person sees a miracle, the person will judge that situation based on what he already believes. Do you understand that? And that leads me to what I've always said. That volition precedes intellection. You will rationalize things. You will understand things. You will explain things to yourself based on what you want to believe. I was giving an example during retreat. A woman that does not want to believe that her husband is cheating on her will take the evidence of the messages and his late nights and another person's perfume smelling on it on him, and she will explain it some other way because she does not want to believe that her husband is cheating on her. A guy that wants to believe that a girl likes him, even if she doesn't like him, he will interpret all her rejection as her wanting him to chase more. Do you understand that? Once a guy likes a girl and he does not, he does not want to accept the reality that the girl has rejected him. When the girl says, I'm busy, he's hearing it as she wants me to try harder. When she, the girl says, please don't talk to me again, what he'll be telling himself is there are some friends that she has that don't want me, that don't want her to like me. She really likes me, but her friends, he will tell himself all kinds of things. He will say his peer pressure that is worrying her. 
He says because she doesn't understand. He will say all kinds of things because that is what he wants to believe because volition precedes intellection. What you want to believe, what you want in your life will determine how you interpret the evidence that is given to you. But guess what? What determines what you want or how, what determines what you want is your desires. So volition itself, which precedes intellection, is influenced or is determined by what by a man's hierarchy of values is determined by a man's priorities is determined by what a man wants the most so it's because the man wants the girl to like him that he has made up his mind that whatever the girl says he's going to interpret it as she likes him in the same way because of how much people love money and want money they interpret everything they see in god's word in that light and the heresy is particularly difficult to expunge from people's hearts for the simple reason that because in a manner of speaking it is desire of god that people live good lives you will always find the evidence in the scriptures so it gives you all the it makes everything perfectly aligned for you to have a Christianity that actually idolizes money. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you guys understand what I'm saying to you? Church out together. Because what people want will determine how they look at the scriptures. What people want is how they will look at the scriptures. And that's why it's extremely important. That's why in Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells about the story of the young rich ruler. And he says that it is impossible, that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, his threading needle, the eye where the thread passes through. I've heard all kinds of um, commentaries where people say the eye of a needle is actually the wall between two houses that is very narrow. No. The eye of a needle is the eye of a needle. Praise God. Says it's better for it's easier for the for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to pass through it. And Jesus made that statement in the context of something. A young ruler came to him and said, What do I need to do to get the kingdom of God? And he says, You follow all the law. And I said, I followed all the law. Then begin to give all your property to the poor and take your everything. And the guy was exasperated and he was sad and frustrated and he left. And Jesus now said, See, it is easier for a rich person, for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich person. Meaning the rich definition of rich in that context, right? What to enter the kingdom of God is easier for the camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And he was explaining that based on the context that because of how much people love money, because of how much people love money, they find it very, very, very difficult to let go of the things that will prevent them from entering the kingdom of God because of money. That's what makes it hard. That's what makes it impossible. But then he now goes on to say, with God, all things are what? Possible. Because the apostles now asked him, ah, that if that is the case, who can enter into the kingdom of God? And he just now says, with God, all things are what? Possible. Meaning, that a man, when a man gets into God's value system, the amount of money is not the problem. How much riches a man has is not the problem. It's not the hindrance into getting into heaven. The problem is the man's state of heart. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
So it's about the poverty of the heart. Poverty of the spirit. That means that state of mind where you are willing to let go of earthly things for the sake of the kingdom. That is the problem. A man who hungers and thirsts after God, a man who has God, will not have that problem. But with a man that is rich in quotes, that means a man that desires to be rich. A man that puts mammon at the top of his priorities. Such a man cannot enter the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Such a man cannot enter the kingdom of God. Before such a man will enter the kingdom of God, such a man has to see a camel entering the eye of a needle first. So it's extremely important that you understand God's will for money. What exactly does God's word say about money? Material possession. What exactly does God's word say? People always have asked this question. Is it God's will that we be rich? The answer is not yes. The answer is not no. The answer is what God's word says. And I'll show you what God's word says. You have to, you have to understand it clearly. If you do, one of the things that you will find is that you're going to live, you're going to lead a life on this world where you will have enough and you will never be derailed. You will never be derailed. Yet you'll be effective. Church out together. So listen and follow me. Listen and follow me. Hallelujah. The first thing I want to explain is what the will of God is in a general sense before we talk about money. I want to lay some foundation about what the will of God looks like. What is the will of God? And the first thing I'd like to explain about the will of God is the fact that when it comes to the will of God for us as people, as human beings, as entities created in his image, that there are some dimensions of the will of God. I don't want to use those kind of words. Okay, so there are are times, there are parts of the will of God that pertains to all of us in the same way. There are some parts of the will of God that pertains to everybody in an identical manner, in an identical sense. That means in the same way. For example, God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of him. That is God's general will for everybody. There is nobody that is left out of that will. If God wants everybody to come to the knowledge of him church i was together um there are a couple of things like that but i don't want to go into them yet since i'm still teaching in the flow so there's some things that are general look at mark chapter 13 there's something very interesting that i like the way jesus puts it here mark chapter 13 Look at this stuff from verse 24. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the earth and to the end of the earth. I'm coming. Oh, sorry. Let's drop down to verse... So he begins to talk about eschatological stuff. If we go on and on and on and on and on. So let's go to verse 35. 
Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Now, verse 37. What I say to you, I say to what? Everyone. Watch. So, when it comes to the last days, when Jesus is coming back the second time, when Jesus is coming to rapture all things and all that, the Bible says that this, that, the, that, that, that's, that second coming of him applies to everybody. So, you know what Jesus now says? He now says, what I say to you, I say to what? Everyone. Watch. So, there are some things that God does not say to just one person. That there are some things that when God is saying them, he's saying it to everybody because it pertains to all of us. Salvation, everybody. Eschatology and the second judgment are the judgment at, this, at the great white throne. And Jesus coming second time is what? Everybody. And there are, of course, there are a lot of other things like that that pertain to everybody. Let's, let us create man in our own image is what? Everybody, every man. So there are a lot of things that when God is saying to one, he's saying to all of us. However, there are some things that pertain to you as an individual. There are things that pertain, that are unique to individuals in the will of God. That's what, that means there are some things that when God is saying to you, he's not saying to everybody. Do you understand that? There are some things that when he's saying to you, he's not saying to everybody. And those things are based on God's individual dealing in your life, based on your coordinates. That means based on where you are in time. Based on where you are in human existence. Because the find that's living today, you are not living in 100 AD room. Isn't it? You are not living in 180 room. You are living in 2021 Nigeria. So there are some things that apply to you that don't apply to a Christian living in 180 room. Do you understand that? There are some challenges that apply to you that don't apply to them. There are some things that God is doing that now that don't apply to them. For example, you are not going to die from malaria, but them they will die from malaria. So when you are having issues with malaria, the way God will deal with them is not the same way it will deal with you. But when God is dealing with us in those individual sense, he's not dealing with us in a way that contravenes what he says generally to apply to all of us. Do you understand that? So it's not like as if God can do something in you that contravenes his general will for all of us. That's one thing that you must always keep in mind because people will say God is doing something in me. Um, God showed me something. And they, they, they will say what God showed them contravenes his, his, um, his will. For example, God cannot show you as an individual that it's okay for you to fornicate. See, that's what God is doing in me. God, God showed me that I can be cohabiting before I get married. It's what God is doing in me. No, God is not doing anything in you. Because what he has said to all of us is that let the bed be holy and the bed on the fat. I bet he put it in the that is Marriage is honorable and the bed is on the fat. So whatever is he he's doing in you will be a specification, will be minute details of what he has told everybody already. Do you understand? So that's why God will do something in Paul and say you are to the Gentiles and Peter is to the Jews. It does not contravene the fact that God has said the gospel should be what? Preached. So God cannot tell Paul, you don't preach the gospel because that's what I'm doing in you. No. What God will do is that he will do finer details. He will make things more specific in each of us based on where we are because we're in space time and we're in different places. We, we have different coordinates. We're not born to the same families. We're not born at the same time. We're not going to the same places. So God has a dimension of his dealing with us, I can't escape that word, that is individualistic to us. So that is the reason why we are not clones. We are not people that once we get saved, we are just them um, Christian 1034, 1035, 1036. There are dimensions that God is doing in us that is individualistic to us. That does not in quotes, pertain to other people. 
That's why if God is leading you to relationship, God cannot tell all of us that we should marry the same person. Isn't it? God cannot say, um, um, all the guys in CBC, you can marry so-so-so sister. No. If God wants to lead somebody, it's one person he will lead to marry the sister. Isn't it? Can he lead all of us to marry one person? No. Because there are some things that are individualistic. Um, Galatians chapter 6. Verse 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to what? Someone else. For each one should carry their own what? Load. Do you see that? You can't compare us. Now see, there are some things in our Christianity that it is working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There are some things that are individual to us. See, everybody has their own burden. Everybody has their own load. And you will take rejoicing in yourself alone. And you cannot compare yourself with someone else. Because there are some things that God is doing in you that is individual to you that don't apply to other people. But whatever it is he's doing with you does not contravene his general will that applies to all of us. Do you guys understand what I'm saying to you? So there are some specific things that God is doing specifically in us. Specific things that God is doing specifically in us as individuals. So that is why many times when you look at God's working with another person on an individual level, what you see is what God can do. It's not necessarily what God will do with you. Hear what I just said now? You know I just said now. There are some things you see in your Christian work that God has done with some believers. That what they are is that they are descriptive. They are not prescriptive. They are describing what God is capable to do. You see God will do something in some people's lives. What you are seeing is what God is capable of doing. Not necessarily what God will do with you. Because he has a different plan for you. Hmm. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Paul cannot look at Peter and say, because God has made him mighty unto the Gentiles, God will also make me mighty unto the Gentiles. He can't. What Paul will see when he's seeing God in Peter is he's seeing what God can do in that God is able to make a man effective in the assignment that he gives him. And so what he's appropriating is the description. What God can also do for me is that God can make me also effective but to what he's sending me to do. So he's not looking at God's power to the Jews, um, God's power in Peter to the Jews as him also being powerful to the Jews. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So, we're talking about the will of God. First thing you must understand, there's the general will of the will of there's the general will of God at a level that pertains to all of us. Those are the broad things. Salvation, the will of God for humanity and all those broad things. And then there are levels of it that are more specific to us based on our coordinated space-time, based on the will of God and the kind of things that God would want us to achieve. Based on the thing that God wants done on the earth. Are we together? Good. The second thing that you need to understand about the will of God, I want to lay these two foundations very, very clearly for you to understand first. 
the second thing that i need you guys to understand about the will of god is that um as god has a general will and a specific will there is something that undergirds all that there's something that lies at the foundation of god's general will and god's specific will for us as human beings and this is the fact that god has a priority system i need to stop saying hierarchy of values it confuses people god has what i call the hierarchy of values is that god has priorities god has priorities holy spirit please help me to explain this thing very well god has priorities god has priorities god has a hierarchy of values in this world I'm going to go an explanation now and I trust God to give you ability to understand because I know not everybody is science inclined. In science, there's something that we called call one dimension, two dimension, and three dimension. The God that helps C.S. Lewis, he was, an English, he was a literature major to understand this. Also help everybody, whether you're science inclined or not. In science, there's something we call one dimension and two dimension and three dimensions and then we don't know how many others of dimensions there really are. What one dimension means is this picture the world now as we are now in this place we are living in a three-dimensional world isn't it so if you look at the dimensions of this room it has a length isn't it it has a breadth and it has what height so this is a three-dimensional space so whatever you are looking at has in this in this space has three-dimensional it has three dimensions everything you see has three dimensions as i'm as you're looking at me i have a height i have a breadth isn't it and i have width Try, if you can, to picture a two-dimensional world. A two-dimensional world is the world of a flat surface. I mean, really flat. That means, and by flat, I mean, try and picture a world that is just flat. In that world, you can only go forward and sideways. Nothing can be thick in that world. You can't be thick. You can't have height. You can only go forward or sideways. You can't have height. Do you understand that? That's a two-dimensional world. So that's the world of all the shapes that we see on our paper squares circles parallelograms and all the shapes they are two-dimensional world isn't it now imagine a one-dimensional world a one-dimensional world is a world where you cannot have heights you cannot go sideways you can only go straight you can't go sideways you can only go straight in one dimension you can only go straight you can't go sideways the moment you are going sideways you're already in a two-dimensional world that means that you have the ability to go from side to side. In one dimensional, in a one-dimensional world, you can only go straight. Church, are we together? Now, imagine someone living in a one-dimensional world. And the person can only go straight in one direction or go forward. They can only go like this. Only go like this. Only go like this. Only go forward or come back. You now tell the person that the way you are going, there is a way you can live where you don't have to be going forward and all that. You can go sideways. You know, to be half repent to even imagine what sideways is. Do you understand that? But you're like, what is sideways? What do you mean by sideways? There, there is what is it? What is a sideways? Is front and back we always go. If the person is living in a two-dimensional world, the person can go forward and sideways, right? The person can always go forward and sideways. So the person can. So you know, once a person goes to a higher dimension, the number of movements the person can have it increases many fold. For example, when you're in one dimension, you can only go forward and back, forward and back, forward and back. So your movement is, is, is um, divided into two. 
You can only have two movements. You can either go forward or you can come back. There's no other movement in your life. But if you're in two dimensions, all of a sudden something happens. Not only can you go forward and back, you can go around in circles. You can travel like this, you can travel like this, you can go forward, you can go back, you can write X, you can do all kinds of things. In your mind, I can move in many directions. But you know the way to tell the person that you can actually go up. Then you say, what is an up? What does it mean to go up? Or you can come down. What do you mean down? I'm going in plenty of directions. The person can understand. But we in three dimensions can understand it. Now, let me do something to help you. To really explain where I'm going to and why God has to have priorities in this world. Imagine a piece of paper. Imagine, some, imagine a piece of paper. A flat piece of paper. Let's assume that it's a two-dimensional. You understand? It's a two-dimensional paper because it's, it's only flat. It's, it only has length and breadth. Isn't it? It only has length and breadth. Imagine you want to put one million pieces of paper in this room. And this room was a two-dimensional room. What will happen? Since it's only two, by the time you put 100 on the floor, the floor is filled. All the other 900 and something, something thousand pieces of paper, you can't put them. Isn't it? Because the two-dimensional world is what? Filled. But if you want to make this, if you now want to change it to a three-dimensional room, all of a sudden, there's more space. Because all of a sudden, all the paper, we can now stack it on top of each other. Do you understand what that just happened? Now, imagine you, a three-dimensional being, you want to stack one million pieces of paper in a two-dimensional world that is limited. How will you do it? How? There's no space for you to put a three-dimensional person. So what you have to do is to extend the floor, isn't it? And increase it so that you can lay them one afterwards, the other. It's not because you are incapable, but because of the dimension of the creation that you have, or the thing that is in two dimensions. If you want to come down to their level, whatever it is you want to do as a three-dimensional being, you have to stack it in their level. And when you stack it in their level, that means that those things will have to follow one after the other. Instead of things to pile on top of yourself, that means that you cannot use limited to this room. What you have to do is that you have to open the doors and lay it flat till you cover all the streets of Antony. So you have to take it one after the other. Or imagine you're a two-dimensional entity and you want to draw a line for a one-dimensional entity. If you're a two-dimensional, you can line the lines sideways, isn't it? You can put the lines sideways. But in one dimension, what will not happen is that you have to put the lines one after the other. So that it can draw a what? Straight line. The only way for you to come down to the level of beings in a lower dimension is for you to begin to do things in a more serial manner. And we are saying this because we're in three dimension. Picture a two-dimensional creature that is living in two dimension that you are telling it that I want to fill this place with one million things. What you say is, it's not possible, sir. I know you are great, so three-dimensional being. But it's not possible because, because, because there's no space. You now say, don't worry, I'll show you what you don't know today. And then I now take all the things and stack them in three dimensions. What will happen is that because that creature is in two dimensions, it won't be able to see anything above it. Do you understand? So it will look to it like as if all the papers disappeared. So when you are telling me that all the papers I'm stacking is still where you are, it's just that it's in a three-dimensional level. You can't see because you are flat, but I've stacked it on top of you. The creature will say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Am I, am I explaining it well? Am I explaining it well? In the same way, 
Have I explained this well? I don't feel like I've explained this well. Have I explained this well? Ah, no, I'm not explaining this well. The way you guys are looking at me, I've not explained this well. There are things as if you are a three-dimensional entity that if you want to do in a two-dimensional entity, you have to arrange them serially. They cannot coexist on top of each other. You have to arrange them in a flat surface for the sake of the creation that you are living in. The, the, the creation that you are dealing with because it's on a lower level of dimension or is it a, a lower dimensional level whatever. Do you understand that? In the same way, if it is true that there is a God as described in the Bible that Jesus came and showed us that is living in dimensions that we don't even know how much higher it is than this one that we are living. As in, we literally don't know. When we think of it as four dimensions, it might actually be something higher. It might be one million dimensions. We don't even know because he's eternity. We don't know how many dimensions God exists in. It means that there are a lot of things that God would have done that if he wants to bring it down to our level, he would have to lay them serially one after the other. Do you understand that? He has to dumb it down to our level for us to lay down one after the other. And that is the reason why God has to have priorities. There are things that God desires, but because we are in this broken world, in this limited three-dimensional world, God has to have priorities. Some things have to be arranged serially. That means some things have to come before others. Things have to be lined up one after the other. All those things are the will of God, but because we're in space-time, they can all not exist without contravening each other at some point. So what happens is that we have to prioritize based on the things that are most important for fulfilling the ultimate purpose of God. Do you understand what I just said now? Let me try and use daily things. There are some things, there are some points that you get to where you want to get some things done. Examples are not coming to mind, but I, I you know, let me just explain. If the Lord brings to me, I'll just go ahead with it. There are some things that you want to get done, even in this world, while we are here now, that what you will find out is that for you to be able to get them done, you have to prioritize because you don't have the bandwidth to do all of them at the same time. It is your desire that you want to eat food, but you also want to get your deliverables done and you also want to watch TV. None of them are bad in themselves. But because as a person, you are limited. Now, I'm using this example, understand the example. The limitation in you, the limitation is not in God, but it's just an example to help you understand priorities. Do you understand that? The limitation is in this world, not in God. Just like the limitation is in the two dimension, not in the three-dimensional creature. Do you understand that? Well, I'm just using this example to get to your mind. So you are limited because you cannot watch TV um, eat cook food for yourself and do your deliverables at the same time because it is your job. If you lose your job, you never have the money to cook the food and to buy the Netflix subscription. So what do you have to do? Prioritize. None of them is bad. Three of them are good, but some are more important than the other. So the way most people will arrange it is that you will deliver on your job first and please your boss so that they don't fire you at the next appraisal session. Isn't it? Then you eat because if you don't eat, the Netflix that work itself, you'll just be seeing hallucination. Before you now watch what? TV. You had to what? Prioritize. That is the same thing and the same way. God has had to prioritize in this world. 
I'm laying the foundation for what the will of God is. And so, from the scriptures, well, how did God prioritize the things that he wanted to do in this world with human beings? And this is a rough sketch of the priority. God's number one priority, which we must understand, is that human beings have agency. That human beings are created in his image. It is the foundation. I hope you are getting me. Please write it down. Number one priority. Human agency. Human beings being created in his image. That is the number one. It is the, num- is it the priority because it undergirds every other thing that God is doing. It is so important to God that we are in his image. Let me, let me just continue. When I put, I'll put everything together now. The second priority and the second most important thing is human salvation. That human beings are re- returned back to the image of God. That human beings are reconciled to God. That human beings have the fellowship of God. So human salvation. The second thing. And the third and final thing is human comfort. Human enjoyment. Human comfort. Human enjoyment. That is the order for the sake of this conver- for this teaching that we have. That is the order. And these three things kind of encapsulate all that God is doing with us. Listen to me. I'll show you from the scriptures now, but let me explain it well before we go ahead. It was so important to God that we are in his image that he was willing to open the possibility that human beings will reject him. Because God is love. There is no version where God can be loved without human beings having agency. Because God is love and you cannot love a person by force, that's why your laptop cannot love you. No matter how smart the laptop is, your AI cannot love you. It takes agency for someone to love you. And because God is love, the number one substrate, the number one thing that makes us who we are as human beings is the fact that we are in his image. That is what makes every other thing that God wants to do in us possible. If God did not accomplish us being in his image first, no other thing would be possible. So that is the reason why it is more important, it's most important, that man is first in his image even before other things. So that means that it was it's so important that man, that man be in God's image that it is a worthy trade-off, it is a worthy possibility that human beings can reject God. Do you understand that? So I said the second thing that God wants is pay attention. The second thing, God's second priority is that man is man's human salvation. That man is reconciled to God. Church, out together. God's second priority is that man be reconciled to God. But in as much that God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of Christ, because God must have human agency, God must have human free will, in quotes, right? God must retain that. The problem is that if human beings are going to have agency and human beings are going to have free will, there will always be the possibility that they can reject God. Do you understand that? There will always be the possibility that they will reject God. There will always be the possibility that they will reject God. But if God does not give human beings free will, salvation will not even be possible at all. Do you understand that? Because you cannot save people by force. 
You cannot get people to believe in Christ by force. The moment it is by force, then it is not faith. It is not love. The moment you are having sex with someone without the person's consent, it is what? Rape. There cannot be love if human beings don't have free will. So God cannot say, I want human beings to love me back. And he will make them robots. No robots cannot love you back. So it is more important that people have agency than that, than for all men to be saved. Because if people don't have agency, they cannot even be saved at all. Church out together. And it is more important that man has agency and that men are saved than human beings live comfortable lives. That means at any point in time where human comfort is beginning to stand against the first two, human comfort must wait. That means that what God, what God is doing with us, human agency first, salvation secondly, which is extremely important, obviously, before you start talking about human comfort and people have money and people be living comfortably. Because God can never trade off salvation for money. The salvation of human beings' souls is more important than their temporary comfort in this world. So if you ever get to any position or any time where between human salvation and human comfort, God has to pick one. You can be sure. Salvation and things that pertain to it will take precedence over money. Do you understand that? So wherever agency comes, between agency and salvation, human agency will take precedence over salvation. When salvation comes, human comfort, human salvation will take precedence over what? Human comfort. So do you understand that? This that I just explained to you is the entire understanding behind the idea of whether money is the will of God or not. So I've done all the hard explanation. Now let me show you from God's word. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our what? Image. The first thing, the most important thing, the first thing, the most important thing is that man be what? In our what? Image. And in our likeness. So, human agency, that ability of human beings to be like God. And what is that thing that we share with God that no other creation has? is the ability to be conscious the ability to be alive in our minds to have in mind to have consciousness to be agents that can make decisions and make choices you can decide to know things remember things and do things that's that that's the quality that we have that we share with god that no other entity um, shares so when god created human beings from the beginning the first and most important thing was that human beings created in words image and i like i explained when did i explain it was it during the retreat or it was during one of midweek services human beings did not lose that created image when they left the garden of eden you will not see any part of genesis that says human beings lost lost the created image no what we'll find is that human beings had not arrived at the final picture that god had for man do you understand that it's extremely important that you understand the way the word of god puts it exactly there is no part there 
where you see that Adam and Eve lost the image that they were created in, what you will find is that they had not yet been fully made in the image. They had not yet eaten of the tree of life, which was where God was taking them to, where they were fully in the likeness of God as much as God you know, desired for man. In fact, what we actually see is that man might have even acquired more likenesses of God when he became like God in knowing both good and what? Evil. So there's no part of Genesis where you see man lost the image of God. No. What he lost was the access to the finalization of that image. Church, are we together? Hmm. Praise God. First things first, man is in the image of God. Let's go on. Of course. Now let's read the popular scripture. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. Call verse nine says, "The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to what perish." But everyone to come towards repentance. This is the this is the answer to the question of why is it that God does not want anybody to perish yet some are perishing? Does it not mean that God is sovereign? Does it mean that there are some things that God is not doing? Do not say things like if God is all powerful, He cannot be all good, and if God is all good, then He cannot be all powerful. No, it is God's hierarchy of values. God does not want anybody to perish, but some people will perish because. A higher value that is more important, which is human agency, is being retained. So, if anything, we see that God's sovereignty is intact. And what is the sovereignty of God? That human agency is retained. Do you guys understand what I'm saying to you? First Timothy chapter 2. All these are popular scriptures that by now everybody should know. Verse 1 says, I urge then that first of all, all the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. This is good and praises God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the word truth. God wants all people to be what? Saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why is it that not all men are being saved? It is easy because something infinitely more valuable has been retained, which is human agency church do you understand what I'm saying to you there are many scriptures like that we'll go on and on John 3 first John and all that so let's just let's just move on because of time now what do the scriptures say about human comfort first Timothy chapter 6 from verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. So, God wants human beings to enjoy. God, That's us there. You know, we'll be tempted to think that it's actually just Christians, but it's actually not Christians. It's actually all human beings. God wants human beings to what? Enjoy. Say enjoy. God wants human beings to enjoy. 
God wants human beings to enjoy. Look at Acts chapter 14. So when Apostle Paul was saying this, he was not talking about just Christians alone. He was talking about us. That means he gives us all things which to enjoy. That's his human beings. He gives us all things which to enjoy. Look at Acts chapter 14. Let's start from verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human. Like you, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Somebody say enjoy. So, you see what God did to all human beings everywhere. That's why he says in chapter 5 that he gives both the righteous and the unrighteous rain. So, God is the one that puts all the resources in the earth so that people can use their agency to mine it and to enjoy. So, God wants all human beings to enjoy. And this is what I was telling you initially about the way scriptures are. If you are looking for proof that God wants people to enjoy, you will find it. But that is not the problem. That is not the heresy. If you are looking for proof that God wants people to enjoy, of course God wants us to enjoy. Of course he does. But that is not the problem. The problem is when you make enjoyment to be the number one thing that God wants for us. The problem is when you make enjoyment to be the number one priority of God, but it is not. There are things that are more important than enjoying. And what we will find in this world is that there are many times when these enjoyments would clash with the things that are more important. Do you know what I just said to you? And at those points, when we find enjoyment and those things standing hand in hand, what do you do? You pick the more important thing. This is the explanation of the whole question. Does God want us to be rich? Look at, the way, look at the way Apostle John says it to Christians. Third John. Third John. Verse 2 says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. The King James Version will say, I, by, by, Beloved, I pray that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul was prosperous. So you see Apostle John saying the disposition of the apostles towards believers. The, desires that, the desire that believers will have a good time, you enjoy good health, that all will be well with you, even as your soul is prospering in the word or in the things of God. So does, does God want people to enjoy? Does God want people to let me not use the words that are easy to confuse does God want us to be comfortable does God want us to have a good life of course he does not I'm not saying rich and prosperity and this is the reason why because if you look at the will of God for all of for all these things you will find out that what God wants for us objectively is as in he wants us to objectively be comfortable and to enjoy when you bring the word rich or prosperity it connotes some kind of comparison it connotes some kind of relativity because if for you to for you to say you are rich it means you are richer than somebody else isn't it 
You cannot say somebody is rich except the person does not has more money than somebody else. Listen to me. If we're in a country, let's even use real examples. What is the GDP per capita of um, Kuwait? I think it's like five thousand dollars per person or something. Okay, the GDP of some countries. Hmm? That is the average wealth of each person in that country. If they bring it to most of our African countries like Nigeria, those people are rich. For example, if my um, classmates or contemporaries who are working in the United Kingdom with the salary that they are earning, if they bring it to Nigeria, you will call them rich people. They will not be middle class. They will be upper middle class. That is the definition of rich. Isn't it? But in the country where they are, they are not what? Rich. That's another problem with the question of does God want us to be rich? What do you mean? Because when you say, does God want us to be rich, you are connoting that does God want us to have more money than other people? No. What God wants is for you to enjoy. So that means that it is irrespective of what other people have in their lives. Do you hear what I just said to you now? God wants you to have all things richly and to enjoy. It is irrespective of what other people have in their lives. So the will of God for us is for us to enjoy, is for us to be comfortable, is to send rains upon the earth, is for you to use your agency to go into the earth and to plow and to do good things. Church, do you understand that? Let's go on. So what does this tell us? What do all these things tell us? Now let's cone down on the, on the message. What do all these things tell us? What is the will of God concerning money? The will of God concerning money is that you, are, you always have, that you are always comfortable and you always have enough. That is the will of God. Second Corinthians chapter 10. So that, let's read it. Let's say chapter 10. I mean chapter 9. Look at from verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Look at what verse 10 puts it. He says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And will enlarge your harvest of what righteousness. So God wants you to have a massive store of seed. That's the ability to bless people. Praise God. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generous generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So God wants you to be enriched. That means God wants you to have more than enough. That's why he was saying Ephesians chapter. Let's, let's open it. Ephesians chapter. That's Ephesians what now? Is it chapter five? Ephesians chapter five. What verse is that? Let him that still still no longer, but let him work with his hands, that he may have enough to give to the needy. Let me verse, verse 7, therefore, verse 8, verse 
requires dressing for this is no improper person has a okay kept going down okay yes chapter four Christ. that's correct thank you anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need chapter 4 verse 28 so that the believer will have more than enough to give that is what god wants for you that you always have more than enough to give that you have enough to enjoy that means for you to lead a good life and for you to have enough to give to other people that is the will of god for you without any doubt this will was demonstrated from the old to the new in all of god's interactions to his people whenever god god is positively disposed to a person whenever god is working in a person's life what we see naturally following is the fact that they begin to have they have more than enough to live and to enjoy so if you look at the scriptures you will see examples from abraham to isaac to jacob to all of them of how they were able to have you know plenty of money or plenty of resources for them to enjoy and for them to also give so if you are if the question is whether god wants us to have money without any doubt that is the will of god however two things you must keep in mind these comforts that god wants you to have must never be at the expense of human agency any source of money that will lead to the dehumanization of another person or the dehumanization of yourself is standing as cue to God's priorities, to God's hierarchy of values, and God will never bless that kind of blessing. So when people are asking you, does God want you, does God want us to be rich, does God want us to have money, ask them, which kind of money? Again, I just said to you now. Does God want us to be rich? Ask them, what do you mean? Any kind of wealth, that necessitates the dehumanization of another person is not the will of God. That's why God went out of his way to judge the Egyptians the way they did. Because the Egyptians built wealth based on the slavery of Israelites. The Bible says that when they were living, God compensated the Israelites by making decisions to give them gold and so that they can send them away. That's why when they entered Canaan, you know God was telling the Israelites, he was telling them that, remember that you also were slaves in Egypt. So don't treat your slaves the same way they were treated them. It is only in Israel that we saw that God re-engineered their entire worldview about slavery. Elevating slave slaves to the level and to the value of normal human beings. In those days, human um, slaves, once anything happens and they begin to call you a slave, you are not a human being again. No. You are not someone's property. And God intervened and re-engineered it because the entire essence of the law was for them to be pointed towards something and God now came and started saying things like slaves must have rights, slaves must not work forever, after six years you must let them go, if you injure any one of them you also will be punished if any of them runs away you must not take them back they are freed God begins to say things like immigrants and people that are outside that are poor and the orphans if you have a piece of land where you have um, where you are able to work until the ground and you have a harvest when you have the harvest don't eat the edges allow it for other people to eat because any wealth that contravenes the dehumanization of other people is not the will of god church are you getting what i'm saying is wealth the will of god yes 
as long as it does not lead to the dehumanization of anybody in any way. That's why you see some interesting things. Like when God is working on you in the phase of your life and God is um, training you for a new phase where you can be a better version of yourself in those phases where you will not have money. In that time, when God is doing that thing in your life, right? The will of God in quotes is not for you to have money. For example, you're just coming out of school. God is going to order your steps into a certain industry. You don't have any skills in that industry and God is working something in you. Imagine Joseph saying, um, the will of God for me in prison is for me to have money. I shall have money. I shall have money. Imagine Joseph in, um, in, um, in, the, in Potiphar's house saying, I shall have money in the name of Jesus. I shall have money in the name of Jesus. Wealth is mine. Wealth is mine. When God has priorities for him, God was doing something in him at that time. So it's not about shouting, no, 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 no. that's not the issue. So I get to what I'm saying to you. Any wealth that leads to the dehumanization of other people is not the purpose of God. I have so much to say on this issue. I have so much to say on this issue. That is the reason why of all the systems of socioeconomics that we can have, like I was saying earlier, we live in a broken world and things have to be prioritized. Of all the systems of socioeconomics that you have, any one of them hmm, that leads to the dehumanization of people, that leads to robbing people of their agency, that leads to preventing people from being freely able to um, lead the lives that God would have them live is not the will of God. I'm not saying any one of them is perfect though. And I'm not saying that God is supporting anyone. But I'm telling you how Christians look at these things. Because human agency is priority, a system that allows human agency first and most importantly is still better than the one that wants to give you so-called equality but will take away human agency. Any equality that takes away human agency is, is, is satanic. That's why it always ultimately always leads to all kinds of catastrophic evil. That's why it does not work. Any kind of equality that you want to do by force that leads to you robbing human beings of their agency will always lead to catastrophic ends because human agency is primates. It is sacrosanct. Human value is number one. Inequality is a worthy trade-off in this world as long as human being agency is sacrosanct. I get what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying that anything in this world is perfect. And I'm not saying that God is necessarily supporting anyone. I'm trying to make you understand the way these things should be looked at. I guess what I'm saying to you. That's why God would rather give some five, some two, some one, and allow them to be able to freely go and trade with it than to say everybody must have one, 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 and you must do something in a particular way. Because all the inequality in this world can never be resolved in this world. You hear what I just said to you? Do you hear what I said to you? <laughs> Listen to me. That is why this world is a broken world. Inequality cannot be resolved in this world. It's God that will resolve it in heaven. If one person wants to try and make all of us equal, he has made himself unequal. Isn't it? 
if one person should come and say they want to take all the power to make everybody to become equal he himself will not be equal with us because the, the lesser is blessed by the words greater so that's why you discover whenever people create a society where one person or some people want to be the one deciding and making everybody equal what you discover is that they will not create more inequality because the new people are the ones that will not be what boss it is better to have an inequality where human agency is preserved than to keep people's uh, keep people's human agency and say you are fighting inequality so that gets what i'm saying listen to me if you have a company you have a place of work if you have things that you are doing and your work is set up that to in a way that people are being dehumanized and you are saying um you see that's why there's problems that's why we must not glorify some things and glamorize some things that's why we cannot allow every big man to come and be giving testimony that god blessed me with a new contract and everything and everything as if it is god did it for me i'm telling you if you have a company where people are being dehumanized where people are being treated poorly it's not god that blessed you in quotes you are not in the will of god you are not this is the reason why somebody that doesn't even believe in god can have money because god has put all the resources in the earth the question is how people go about it what is the will of god or in the way people go about these things and trust me when i'm telling you someone will come they are stolen money and that leads me to the second thing the second thing um, the will of god is for us to enjoy i will say the first thing is as long as um it does not dehumanize people right and the second thing is that um god would have you prosper in as much as salvation and the things that pertain to it are doing well so any wealth that contravenes salvation and the things that pertain to salvation is not the will of god that is why there is some poverty that is acceptable in for the sake of the gospel do you understand that do you guys see the reason why if someone asks you does god want you to be rich is not yes or no <laughs> let me say it again there is some poverty that is acceptable for the sake of the word gospel there are times that in between salvation and poverty between ministry and poverty god will say there are some situations where they, they are clashing as in you must pick one you must pick one you know what to do you will pick salvation i'm not saying that that is all the case so most of the time what you will find is that they are co-compatible but listen to me there's a substantial amount of time and you will find it in your human as your dream ministry where salvation and money you must pick one when you get to that time i uh, listen to me the will of god for you is to pick salvation at that time the will of god for you is not to have money at that time for you to choose money will be to stand in opposition to god for your life can you imagine jesus on the cross confessing for money Can you imagine it? Say, Lord, I'm not going to the cross. Your will for me is that your your servant prospers. Your will for me is that your servant prospers. I have the Holy Spirit and I have the seed of Abraham. Therefore, I prosper. I will sow in this land and I will reap a hundredfold. I will sow in Jerusalem and I will reap a hundredfold. Therefore, 
I shall not go to the cross. I shall stay and I shall be a rich big man. I shall be the dangote of Jerusalem. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Um, you're, you're on your own. <laughs> Praise God. Imagine Apostle Paul going to preach and there's persecution. Now say the will of God for me is that I prosper and that I'm rich. Therefore, I shall not preach the gospel. I shall stay and I shall be rich. I shall stay and I shall be rich. I shall not go on this ministry journey. As I'm going on the ship, God must supply my needs. Unless God is not God, I will have money as I am preaching the gospel. They put you in prison. It is the will of God that in this prison for the sake of the gospel, money comes to me. Money, come, 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 come now. Money, I command you to come to me in this prison. I once heard someone say something like, um, actually said something to me that the seed of Abraham is, the promise of Abraham is for us to be rich like Abraham. So every child of God is rich. I said, what about Paul? Say, Paul was always rich. <laughs> KPK. Philippians chapter 4. From verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it i am not saying this because i am in need for i have learned to be content whatever the circumstances i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty i have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or whether what hungry whether living in what plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me what? Strength. Why? Because for Apostle Paul, human agency and the ministry of salvation were more important. So there were times when he had to go hungry. There were times where he had to go, where he had to be in need for the sake of the gospel. At those times, it is so okay. It is okay. This is the reason why you must not idolize money. This is the reason why you must not idolize money. Because when you get to the times where money is at, is at odds with the more important things, what will happen is that you will choose money. Not you in Jesus' name. This is why it's extremely important. Look at the way he puts it in um, on First Corinthians. I think that's um, chapter four. You just repeating him, and you actually repeating him. I always want to say that um, this, um, the person that taught us about the seed of Abraham does not have money, and you think that the seed of Abraham is money. Look at the person that taught us about the promise of Abraham. He didn't have money. But you think that the promise of Abraham is money. Second, uh, First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 11 says, To this very hour, I mean, while he was writing, you know, while he was writing to the Corinthian church, where he was, look at what it says. To this very hour, we, hope, we go hungry 
and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. Ah. Ah. The promise of Abraham cannot be money. It can't be. He says, we work with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. And when we are persecuted, we enjoy it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. If you read the previous part, you will see how he was saying that it is for your sake that we are doing all these things. So there are some things that are more important that for their sake, it is okay not to have money. There are some things that it is okay to delay gratification for. There are some things that it is okay to delay gratification for. There are some things that as a businessman, you should be willing to make sacrifices for. See, you should get to the point where another person human's comfort because of what you understand of the scriptures is so important to you that you are willing to cut your profit to increase the pay of your workers. I hear what I'm saying to you. You don't have to buy Bentley with all your mates because you have a big company. You don't have to buy private jets with all your mates because you have a big company. There are some things that are more important. Human agency. Human comfort. So for that sake, you can sacrifice how much money you have so that your workers can lead better lives. That is the will of God. It's nothing like the will of God is for me to have a jet. It's nothing like that. The will of God is for me to have a home. There's nothing like that. They are weightier matters. It is okay that for the sake of the gospel, you go hungry some months. There are some things that you want to buy to your house. There are some good things that you want to do. There are some few savings that you can make in a few months and you'll be able to travel for holiday. You deny yourself of that privilege of traveling for holiday and give the money to church. People are, the will of God is not for you to travel abroad. It is for you to have human agency. It's for you to support the ministry of salvation before you enjoy. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. This is the will of God. There are things that are more important. Don't even let me go and read what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter. You know, let me, if I read on. Don't even let me go there. There are some things that the sacrifice is worth it. If Jesus can be, can be stripped naked for our sake, beaten the way he was for our sake, it's not as if the will of God or God's will was not for him to lead the Of course, Jesus lived a dignified life for most of it. But when it was time for him to sacrifice for our sakes, he did it in the same way for you also. God wants you to enjoy. He gives us all things richly to enjoy, but not at the expense of the weightier matters. That's why if you read that same first Timothy chapter 6, when he gets lower, you know what he now says? He now says, warn them not to trust in uncertain riches. But they should use the money that they have to do good so that they can use it to so seeds into eternity for themselves. Because they are what? Weightier matters. See, God's blessings on you are for you to enjoy and for you to do stuff with it. Don't get it twisted. God wants you to enjoy. God wants you to live well. God does not want you to be sick. God wants you to eat fat and to rejoice and to bless God. 
God wants you to have good things in life. To have a good car, to live in a comfortable house. Not compared to another person, but what you need. God wants you to lead all the comfortable things that you can, you know, all the content. God wants you to be comfortable. In as much as it does not contravene the higher things. Now, let me be honest with you and let me paint the picture of how life truly is. Um, listen to me. Next Sunday, so next Sunday, we're going to talk about um, why people are poor and why people are rich from the scriptures, right? We'll talk about how people make money. So, We'll talk, about how, we'll talk about all that. This is not about how people make money. Next Sunday, we'll talk about how people make money and all that. But today, we need to talk about how the will of God because the way people make money can be in the will of God or outside of the will of God, isn't it? That's not the issue. We'll talk about that next Sunday, right? But today, we want to talk about how God views money, how the believer should view money. Now, listen. Praise God. Now, what you will find is that depending on the kind of society that you live in and depending on the way other human beings around you have used their agency most of the time it's actually possible for you you know depending on where you are it is actually possible for you to lead a very comfortable life and it will hardly ever be at odds with the ministry of salvation I guess what I'm saying so at those points we don't have to pick and choose so I'm not saying that you should find a way to make yourself poor. If the sacrifice is not needed, then you don't have to pay it because it's not a sacrifice. It's just foolishness. Do you understand what I'm saying? If the sacrifice is not needed, then whatever you are doing is not sacrifice. It's foolishness. So, what you will find is that as you are leading your life now, there are opportunities you can pursue there are skills that you can gain. There are places where you can put yourself where money will come to you and you will lead a good life and you'll be very comfortable. That's what you'll find. You'll find that most of the time. So, don't begin to think of yourself and begin to prepare your mind for poverty. You don't need to. What you'll find most of the time is that those things hardly ever clash. It's right in the kind of world that we're living in. But this is the point. There will be times when it will clash there will be times that instead of you to use this money to buy a car there will be a need a measurable need in front of you in another person's life in the ministry of the gospel that is paramount where you will continue to use your old car and give that money for that sake there will be times where you will want to travel abroad for holiday and you will see the money in your account like this and you will see a need but because your mind is in the right place you will give to the need there will be times where God will be working something in you doing something in you in a unique sense he's taking you through a course where he's building you up to something and that building that he's doing in you does not require you to have money at that time. You will stay in that training and be patient till God finishes what he's doing in you. Yes. There will be such times. There will be times when God is actually ordering your steps to getting trained and acquiring some skills because he wants to change the direction of where you are going. 
And the way I'm speaking, I'm speaking from my own personal example. You are in a certain direction of your life. And that's not where God will have you be. And then God is, God wants to move you into a new direction of platforms where he wants to do something for you. And then that's, that's the period where you find that you're at home for months, no job. You are going on interviews, but you are, and you are losing them. But you are doing some things uh, pro bono. You are doing a lot of things pro bono. You are doing a lot of, um, um, what do you call it now? Freelancing work and everything. And you are taking interviews and you are, you are missing out on interviews. And you are feeling bad and you are feeling bad and you are feeling bad. And the question is, um, is it the will of God from? No. At such times, God is now doing something in you that you will now step into a place that will be like as if so many things have aligned for you. It will be like as if this guy is extremely lucky. He's not luck. It is called the ordering of God's steps. It's called God ordering the steps of a believer. I guess what I'm saying. In those times, you don't get exasperated and say, the purpose of the will of God for me is to be rich. The will of God is for me to be rich. If I'm not, there's something wrong. Maybe I'm not giving enough. I'm not saying enough. Listen to me. It's not by sowing that you get rich. We'll talk about that this Sunday. You don't get rich because you are sowing seed. <laughs> oh. We'll talk about that next Sunday. Church, all together. So this is how to view money. If you do not understand, if you do not accept that the life of a man is not the abundance of the things that he owns, I hope to expatiate on that soon. That your value as a person must not come from how much material comfort that you have. If that doesn't sink into your mind, when there is a choice between money and the weightier matters, you will choose money. And by so doing, you will truncate so much in your life. Next Sunday, I'm going to explain to you how, apart from the fact that being materialistic actually takes you away from God, I will also show you how that being materialistic at certain points in times can actually be counterproductive. That it can actually lead you into suffering that you should not suffer. Being materialistic can lead you into a poverty that you're not supposed to be poor. Being materialistic can sometimes lead you into a kind of poverty that God would not have had you suffer for nothing. I'll show you next Sunday. Being materialistic, having the value system of be, wanting to be rich by all means, money is the most important thing and everything is a means to make money. Confession, to make money. Even God's word is to make money. We're coming to church, is to make money. We're giving, is to make money. Our marriage and relationship, to help us make money. Our career, is all about money, 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 money. How that in itself can begin to put you in, in situations where you make all kinds of stupid decisions. I was supposed to say that you now pierce yourself with many sorrows. You will trade the important things in life for something like money that is transient and passing. You will lose the most important things in your life for the sake of money. And put yourself in problems that you should not have. Church, all together. So, what is the will of God concerning money? Yes, God wants us to have money, but never at the expense of the weightier matters. What I just said to you, that is the summary of everything I've been explaining. Yes, God wants you to have money, but never at the expense of the weightier matters. Yes, 
God wants you to have money, but never at the expense of the weightier matters. God will give you money only to the extent that it permits the weightier matters. That's another way you can put it. God will bless you with money only to the extent that it permits the weightier matters. God will bless you with money only to the extent that it permits. Or no, let me say like this. God's will for you is to have money because God has blessed us already. So it's, it's human effort that makes the money. So let me say it like this. God's will is for you to have money only to the extent that it permits the weightier matters. Church, are we together? Praise God. So you will do well. You will be effective in the gospel of Christ. You will actualize all the things that God will have you do on the earth. You will not make decisions and go and walk in places that will kill the purpose of God inside of you just because of money. You will not go and walk in places. You will not put yourself in relationships. You will not put yourself in places that for the sake of money, you will now kill the purpose of God inside of you. Because you understand that your agency and your salvation and things that pertain to it are more important than money. That's where your life is in. So the life of a man cannot be in the abundance of the things that he owns. It's too low. It's too low down in the priorities. It's too low. You will learn to be content with what you have because you have the weightier matters. Like this guy said earlier when we were praying. The most important things are with you so you can learn to say, what can man do to me? I will not be afraid. I don't need to be covetous. I don't need to be grasping. I don't need to be dying that I must make this money. I must make this money. And I start telling lies, skinning, slandering my friends. Because those things are not necessary because you have the more important things. You will not be doing all kinds of funny things. Eh, eh, mm, eh, I must have a good clinical clinical. I'll go and marry one guy that will be beating me, beating me, beating me, and be cheating on me because I want to have money. My conversation will not be in covetousness because I'm afraid of not having money. No. Because he will never leave me nor forsake me. I will be able to say, What can man do to me? Because that's what your life is. not be afraid of turning your back on any opportunity. All your friends are going in one direction and of them are making money. You will know that that is not what God is doing in your life. You will be able to comfortably turn your back on it. Our people will be looking at you like one weirdo. Like, can't you see what people are doing? Are you not feeling one kind? Are you not feeling one kind? That See, everybody is doing this, everybody is doing that. Can you call, can you call? And it will genuinely not move there. People will be wondering that this guy is weird. But it genuinely does not move you. Because you have gotten to a place. What satisfies you are the important things. You are satisfied by the important things in Christ. So when Apostle Paul was saying, having food and shelter, let us dear with be content. That's what he's speaking for. It's not a teaching on complacency. It's not a teaching on, on telling people that poverty is a good thing. That's what Paul is saying. Apostle Paul is saying is that when you have the higher things in your heart, you will be content, you will be satisfied, even when it's only food and shelter you have. That 
that emotional crisis and turmoil of I don't have money, I'm anxious, I'm thinking, hey, no money, no money, no money, money, it will never be your portion. Because the better, the weightier things have satisfied you. So, just when God has provided shelter and God has provided food, you are good. <laughs> Hallelujah. You are good. You are good. Because just a matter of time, you still make the money, and until you make the money, you are good. You are fine. It does not change anything. If you are in a place where you are making a sacrifice for the sake of something weightier, it is even your joy. Seeing that weightier thing being expressed, being manifested, is your joy. You are happy. So, nobody can come and tell you, you, are, you make you feel bad for not having a car like your own. Of course not. You walk on the road, they will splash the water and you do glory to God. Hallelujah. Because your mind is on something. Your mind is on something. You, nobody can use peer pressure to make you feel bad. Instagram will lose his taste in your mouth. All those God when see one guy just bought a guy. You will genuinely like when you see people doing well, you'll be genuinely happy for them. Say, ah, good stuff, good stuff. Ah, are you serious? Wow, we're just you just told the manager in your company. Wow, I'm happy for you. I'm happy. For you. So what's happening? Ah, well, you know, we're following problems of God for our lives. We're doing fine. We're doing fine. Say really, I was staying and saying we fine. And genuinely, nothing is making you feel envious. See, when you get to that point of state of mind, men will look at you with all their money, and when they're having problems, it's you they will come and meet to solve it for them. They will have respect for you. Church, I was together. Let's put our heads and let's pray the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.